Good morning. Today is Sunday, the 21st day of August 2016. About a week before Christmas in 1937, a 41-year-old man walked into the Trocadero nightclub on the Sunset Strip to celebrate the birth of his son. Three days later, he was dead. Today we look at the life and mysterious death of the man who created the Three Stooges, Ted Healy, on the 102nd episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. It's Sunday, it's time for coffee, and I am your host and storyteller, Jeff Kelly. You know, right now, America is involved in a strange presidential election. If I was running for president, I'd promise to make the sale of shredded cheese illegal. In that way, I'd make America great again. So, I thought I'd do something a little different this morning. Before we get started with our story of Ted Healy, how about a bonus mini-story? This is the story of Bridget Driscoll, a 44-year-old woman who went down in history as the first pedestrian in the UK to be killed by an automobile. It happened on the 17th of August, 1896. It happened when Bridget, with her 16-year-old daughter May, and a friend were crossing Dolphin's Terrace in the grounds of the Crystal Palace in London. Beating down the road was Arthur James Edsel, who drove an automobile belonging to the Anglo-French Motor Carriage Company. And by speeding, I mean that the newfangled horseless carriage could go a maximum of 8 miles per hour, or 13 kilometers per hour for our non-American friends. Some say, however, that the car had a limiter on it that kept it from going faster than 4 miles per hour, or 6.4 kilometers per hour. Apparently, Mr. Edsel did shout, stand back as he approached. Mrs. Driscoll hesitated and seemed bewildered. It was reported by May Driscoll that the driver did not seem to understand what he was doing and zigzagged towards them before the car struck her mother. At an inquest, Flourish Asmore, a domestic servant, gave evidence that the car went at a tremendous pace, like a fire engine, as fast as a good horse could gallop. The driver said he was going four miles per hour when he killed Mrs. Driscoll, and that he had rung his bell and shouted. Although the driver said he was only going four miles an hour, a passenger in the car, Alice Standing, alleged that he had modified the engine to a to allow the car to go faster. But another taxicab driver examined the car and said that it was incapable of exceeding 4.5 miles per hour because of the low-speed engine belt. The jury returned a verdict of accidental death after a six-hour inquest and no prosecution was made. The coroner, Percy Morrison, said that he hoped such a thing would never happen again. And it never has. Oh, no, wait, I got that wrong. The Royal Society for the Prevention of Accidents estimated that 550,000 people have been killed on the UK roads by 2010. Anyway, 
The other day I was watching Turner Classic Movies when I saw a movie that had Ted Healy in it. And I thought to myself, is that the same Ted Healy that used to perform with the Three Stooges? And I looked it up and sure enough it was. And then I started reading more about the man and I thought, hey, you know what? This would make a good Coffee with Jeff story. So now let's hear it. The story of Ted Healy and the Three Stooges. This podcast is part of the Psycon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash Psycon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. I thought you were going to tell us a bedtime story. I'll tell you a bedtime story. Relax. Once upon a time, there was a fellow called Paul Revere. Where was he born? He was born in Canada. What part? Houston, Texas. No, he lived uh, He lived in Montreal. That's a beautiful city, Montreal. You go way up in the mountains in the log cabin, and you open the window, and the sunshine in the morning smacks you right in the face. Don't go away until you tell us another bedtime story. You want a bedtime story? You ask for it, and you're going to get it, and you're going to get it good. 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 Once upon a time, there was a father, and he had three boys, and they belonged in the reform school, and the three boys would not give their father a break. So the father got terribly mad. <laughs> he got terribly mad. And he reached for a hammer. And he hit one. And then he hit two. And then he hit three. <laughs> and the children died. And he grabbed the fairy by the arm, and he headed for the beer joint. He lived happily ever after. <laughs> Way back on Coffee with Jeff, episode 87, I told the story of the mysterious death of Thelma Todd. You see, in 1935, Thelma was involved with an alleged gangster, Pat DeSico, and after a night of drinking at the nightclub, the Trocadero, she was found dead the next morning. On today's show, we tell the story of another, who two years later had an involvement with Pat DeSico, who was drinking at the Trocadero, and like Thelma Todd, was dead soon afterwards. This is the story of the life and death of Ted Healy the man who started the Three Stooges. The thing about Ted's death is, many, even today, think it might have been murder. The actual date of his birth varies depending on which biography you read, but it appears that he was born Ernest Lee Nash on October 1st, 1896 in Kaufman, Texas. In 1908, his family moved to New York, and it was there he became friends with another boy in his neighborhood named Moses Horowitz. The two met at a beach near Coney Island on the 4th of July, 1909. Moses was nicknamed Mo by his family, and he had five brothers. Two of Mo's younger brothers were Samuel Horowitz, who was called Shemp, and Jerome Lester Horowitz, who was known as Babe but would later be known as Curly. In his autobiography, Moe described his relationship with Healy as inseparable. Ted attended high school at the De La Salle Institute, ready to follow his father in pursuit of a career in business, but eventually the idea of performing on the stage became his main interest. In 1912, Ted, Moe, and a few of their other friends joined up with a group of diving girls, in which they would make a 30-foot dive into a 7-foot-long, 7-foot-wide tank of water, dressed as women. They would crumple up newspaper and stuff them into their one-piece bathing suits to give the appearance of breasts, 
Once in the water, they'd have to stay under the water until they readjusted their falsies, which would drop down when they hit the water. They didn't last long with the group. One day, a lady named Gladys Kelly missed the tank and hit the papier-mâché waves that decorated it and the two-by-fours they were attached to. The young lady broke her neck and was killed instantly. This was enough for the young men to know that high diving wasn't for them. Mo had always been interested in acting. He starred in and directed school plays when he was young. He would often skip school and go to the movies or the theater at a young age. At the age of 15, he ran away and ended up on a showboat called the Sunflower on the Mississippi, acting in its theater company, and he did that for two seasons. For a while after that, Moe and his brother Shemp formed a vaudeville act called Howard and Howard, which they thought sounded better than Horowitz and Horowitz. It was a black-faced comic relief act, which was very popular in those days. Ted now was going by the name Ted Healy, and he had already made a name for himself on the vaudeville circuit as an actor and comedian. By the 1920s, he was the highest paid performer in vaudeville. He had met and married his first wife, Betty Braun, who went under the name Betty Brown, and she became part of the act. Part of Healy's act included acrobats, and when Mo saw an ad looking for replacement acrobats, he decided to apply. He had not seen Ted Healy in almost 10 years. Of course, Mo wasn't an acrobat, so his part of the show was to act as an audience member who was picked at random to come on stage. Apparently, in vaudeville, those characters were known as stooges. As part of the act, Mo would grab Ted by the waist and accidentally pull Ted's pants off. According to Mo, the new act was a smash and Ted found himself making $3,500 a week, and of that, he paid Mo $100. One night, Mo was making his entrance onto the stage when he heard a familiar laugh coming from the audience. It was the unmistakable sound of his brother Shemp. Ted invited Shemp onto the stage, and after that, Shemp became a part of the act. Louis Feinberg was trained to be a violinist, and he had also attempted to make a living as a boxer. But when Ted Healy saw him in Chicago, he was calling himself Larry Fine and was in a comic review. Moe later said that Healy asked Larry, Would you like to be one of the Stooges and make three instead of two? And Larry said, Yes, I would love that. And Healy responded, I'll give you 90 bucks a week. And then he added, I'll give you an extra $10 if you throw that fiddle away. So in 1928, they began calling themselves Ted Healy and his Southern Gentlemen. And then over the years, they would change their name a few times, including Ted Healy and his Three Lost Souls, Ted Healy and his Racketeers, Ted Healy and his Stooges, and finally, Ted Healy and his Three Stooges. Ted was a good guy to work for when he wasn't drinking, but when he began to drink, he could become very angry and abusive. The group appeared in their first film, Soup to Nuts, in 1930 by Fox Studios. The film didn't do very well, but the Three Stooges were noticed, and Fox was getting ready to offer them their own solo contracts. When Ted found this out, he went to the executives at Fox and got them to withdraw their offer, somehow convincing them that it was wrong to break up his act. The Stooges weren't happy when they learned of what had happened. 
This along with the fact that they were being paid very little compared to what Ted was getting, convinced them that it was time to leave and go solo. They billed themselves as Howard Fine and Howard, and as soon as they were gone, Healy began recruiting new stooges to keep the act going. The new stooges were Mousy Gardner, Jack Wolf, and Richard Dick Hackins. Mousy would later tell the story of when he went for the audition, the first thing Healy did was to hit him in the face. Mousy jumped on Healy, punching him and biting him in the ear. Healy said, you're hired. According to Gardner, Healy just wanted to see what kind of reaction Mousy would give when he was hit in the face, and what he saw, he liked. The New Stooges began performing the identical act that Mo Shemp and Larry had done previously. According to Mousy, Ted was great to work for as long as he wasn't drinking. What was Ted's thoughts when he hired the New Stooges? Was it to continue the act that he helped create? Some thought it was an attempt to show the original Stooges that they could be easily replaced, but whatever it was, it just wasn't working with the new guys, and Ted was constantly trying to convince Mo Shemp and Larry to return. And it wasn't long before the three new Stooges, Mousy Jack and Richard, decided to go their own way without Ted, and they began calling themselves the Gentle Maniacs. Ted finally was able to convince the original Stooges to come back, but with one condition. Ted would not drink. Well, as it turned out, only two of the original three returned. Shemp thought it was time to go out on his own. One of the main reasons could have been that his wife, Gertrude, didn't like Healy at all. Also, he was offered to play the character of Nobby Walsh in a series of comedy shorts based on the Joe Palooka comic strip. To replace Shemp, Moe recruited his younger brother, Babe. At the time, Babe was working with a band as a comic guest conductor and had long hair and a mustache. Now, since each of the Stooges had their own unique hairstyle, Larry with his wild hair, Moe with his bowl-cut bangs, and Shemp with his long hair that he was constantly pushing back over his ears, they asked Babe what he was going to do with his hair. He said, don't worry about it. About a half hour later, he showed up with a cap on. When he took the cap off, he revealed that he had shaven his head and was as bald as a cue ball. With his new look, he was nicknamed Curly. There's another version of the story which goes like this. It was Ted didn't want Babe to join the act, and it was only after Mo threatened to quit that Ted said it was okay as long as Babe shaved his head and called himself Curly. Ted thought there was no way he would do this, but to Healy's surprise, he did just that. In 1933, Ted and the Stooges got their big break and signed a deal with MGM. In their first feature film, they were credited as Ted Healy and the Stooges. They only worked a year with MGM, but they appeared in six feature films that featured such big stars as Clark Gable, Joan Crawford, and Laurel and Hardy. They also made a half dozen shorts, two of them that were an experimental two-color process. But even with this success, the old complaints began to resurface. Ted had been drinking again, and that became a problem with the Stooges. And there was also the way the money was handled, Ted receiving a majority of the cash. The Stooges felt that they were the ones getting the laughs. Why were they not getting some more money? 
it was time to leave Healy once and for all. So Mo, who was a very good businessman, took over as leader. The Three Stooges signed a deal with Columbia Pictures to make short films and Ted stayed with MGM to continue his movie career. His career was very successful at MGM. He made a series of films between 1934 and 1937, and during this time even had various versions of his own Stooges. By this time, Ted and his first wife, Betty Brown, had gotten a divorce. Sometime in 1934, Ted began having an affair with Thelma Todd. And Thelma was married to agent and movie producer Pat DeSico, who was allegedly a mobster working for Lucky Luciano. As you might remember, Todd was found dead in her car a year before, and her death is still surrounded by controversy. In 1936, he met a second Betty, a beautiful UCLA co-ed named Betty Hickman. He proposed marriage almost immediately. On May 15, 1936, the two eloped, taking a plane to Yuma, Arizona, and it was there they were married. Oddly, his new wife was granted a divorce on October 7, 1936. According to the Times on October 4, 1936, Hickman accused the screenplayer of displaying a violent temper and of making their married life continually unpleasant by frequent quarreling. Yet, for whatever reason, the divorce was nullified sometime later. The two must have worked things out because on December 17, 1937, Ted was thrilled when his son, John Jacob, was born. Ted had always loved being around kids. Mo Howard wrote, He was nuts about kids. He used to visit our homes and envied the fact that we were all married and had children. Healy always loved kids and often gave Christmas parties for underprivileged youngsters and spent hundreds of dollars on toys. At this point, Ted had a beautiful wife, a son that he adored, and his movie career was at an all-time high, co-starring with some of Hollywood's biggest stars. He had also signed a star in his own network radio series. Between his deal with MGM, his radio deal, and his live appearances, he was making more money than he ever had before. Four days after Ted Healy's son was born, Ted was dead. An MGM spokesman initially announced the cause as a heart attack. Ted had been bar hopping all over Hollywood to celebrate the birth of his son. He ended up at the famous Trocadero nightclub on Sunset Strip. Somehow, during the evening, Ted got into a fight. Healy's friend, the writer Henry Taylor, told Mo Howard that the fight was preceded by an argument between Healy and three men whom he identified as college fellows. This would have made sense to many because Healy was known as an angry, violent drunk. But apparently, it wasn't unnamed college students that he fought with, but it was Pat DeSico tough guy character actor Wallace Berry, and future James Bond producer, 29-year-old Albert R. Broccoli. Broccoli was DeSico's cousin. Healy was able to climb into a taxi, bruised and bloody, and asked to be taken home. His wounds were so serious that he should have gone to the emergency room, because due to those wounds, three days later he died. So just what happened that night? According to E.J. Fleming, author of the book The Fixers, Eddie Mannix, Howard Strickland, and the MGM Publicity Machine, this is what happened. 
Apparently, he got into an argument with Broccoli, DeSico, and Barry. After words were exchanged at the bar, Fleming wrote, Barry punched Healy in the head in the presence of other patrons and was challenged by Healy to step outside, where he said he'd beat each man one at a time. But Broccoli had snuck outside, and when Healy walked through the doors, jumped him and held him while the other two beat Healy. They left him unconscious, sprawled in a pool of blood, and returned to the bar, loudly toasting their victory. Now, many reports say that when Healy got home, he called a couple of people, including Shemp Howard, and identified Seiko and Barry as two of the assailants, but he wasn't sure who the third man was. According to the story, this wasn't hard to figure out as Cubby Broccoli was running all over town bragging about how they had beaten up Healy. But after Healy's death, apparently, Broccoli changed his story, saying that a heavily intoxicated Healy had picked a fight with him, the two briefly scuffled, then shook hands and parted ways. In other reports, Broccoli admitted to pushing Healy, but never striking him. Following an autopsy, the Los Angeles County Coroner reported that Healy died of acute toxic nephritis secondary to acute and chronic alcoholism. With this, the police closed their investigation. There was never any indication in the report that the death was caused by a physical assault. So with witnesses at the bar, Broccoli talking his head off, an alleged gangster involved, in an obviously beaten body, why was there no investigation? According to E.J. Fleming, it was due to the quick efforts of MGM. As quick as they could, they arranged for Wallace Berry to leave on a month-long vacation. They paid off the coroner to issue a bogus report and spread money around to all those at the Trocadero to forget about Broccoli, DeSico, and Berry. And, if asked, say three college students had fought the actor. Others have pointed out that DeSico's ties to organized crime was enough to keep most people quiet. Some sources that I've read point out that there was no real evidence to link Broccoli, DeSico, and Barry with the murder of Ted Healy. And the story of the beating outside the Trocadero is just a Hollywood myth. Some have credited Healy's first wife of starting these rumors, as she was the only one at the time who thought that there was a cover-up. Whatever happened, Healy was dead, and even though Healy had always been a very well-paid entertainer, he died heavily in debt. His wife Betty was left responsible for a multitude of liabilities, including hospital bills related to the birth of their son and Healy's medical care. She remained hospitalized for some time after Healy's death, leaving their house unattended. As a result, it was robbed of everything of value. A trust fund was organized by friends and colleagues to provide financial support for Betty and her child but Betty later asserted that she had never received any proceeds from the fundraiser. Hello. 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 Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old gold and listen to the sad sack. When I began the show today, I told a joke about grating cheese. I just want to point out that I stole that joke off of Facebook can't remember who posted it, but sorry. Anyway, back to Ted Healy. The whole time I was writing this, I was convinced that Ted Healy had been beaten and died from his injuries. I mean, most stories you read on the internet present that as, well, almost fact. 
And as I get near to the end, I began reading several other versions and accounts of what happened, and now I'm not so sure. I mean, I am convinced that big Hollywood studios at the time were powerful enough to cover up something like this, and yet there isn't really one witness that has come forward that saw the fight, and I don't know, maybe because it was dark, no one saw it. I don't know, but even with what I read, I still think there's something here. There's a story of how Moe, Larry, and Curly found out about Healy's death on the website A Trip Down Memory Lane by David Lobosco. I have no idea who David Lobosco is or where he got this information from, but I hope it's true. He wrote that Moe, Larry, and Curly were at Grand Central Terminal in New York City preparing to leave for a personal appearance in Boston. Moe was talking to Rube Jackter, head of Columbia Pictures, on the phone when Jackter told him that the night editor of the New York Times wanted to talk to him. He called the editor, who asked, Would you like to make a statement on the death of Ted Healy? Apparently, Moe just dropped the phone and began to cry. Now, Moe was not one to show too much emotion, and especially to never cry, so Larry said to Curly, Your brother's nuts. He's actually crying. Moe didn't tell the others what he was crying about until they were on the train heading towards Boston. It was later when they got back to Hollywood that they heard the story of how three college students had beat him up. And now, the ending credits. We at PsyCon could really use your help in keeping these podcasts going. You should think about becoming a sponsor at our Patreon page. Just go to PsyCon.fm, that's C-S-I-C-O-N.fm for more information. And of course, a sincere thank you to everybody who already supports the network. Speaking of PsyCon, why not go over to our website and check out a few of our other shows? You'll find an amazing amount of geek culture. The History Files just published part three of four about Afghanistan. It's very interesting stuff. To be honest, I haven't listened to part three yet, but don't tell Gordon and Nancy that, but I am going to listen to it. But you can check this out as well as a bunch of other great shows at PsyCon.fm. That's PsyCon, C-S-I-C-O-N. You know, you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. If you want to complain, you can do that too. I'll answer your email. I answer every email. You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is Coffee with Jeff, all one word. And I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page that I'd love you to join. If you want to support the show but you don't have the coin, then just leave me a review over at iTunes. Those reviews really help. And remember, links to all the sources I use to write the story can be found at Psycon's Coffee with Jeff page. I'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson for having this podcast on the Psycon Network, my wife of 32 years for being my wife of 32 years, David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And a special shout out to all those that repost this on Facebook and Twitter, that you have a special place in my heart. I'll be back next week with something. I don't know. Bye. He once tried it with some cream 